Welcome to Igniting the Fire Within, a limited series podcast presented by Wildfire Magazine and The Burn Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, April Stearns. Each week for the next year, you'll hear an essay from our book read by the author. Igniting the Fire Within is a collection of stories of healing, hope, and humor, offering an insider's view into today's young breast cancer community. We compiled 50 essays for people diagnosed in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. There is medicine for each of us in these stories, whether you've been personally diagnosed with cancer or not. Wildfire stories in general, but especially the ones you'll hear from Igniting the Fire Within, are stories of transformation. Our storytellers experienced a shift in perspective as a result of something that happened to them. And the cancer diagnosis was not the thing that happened, or it wasn't the only thing. The cancer diagnosis was merely the catalyst for later changes that led our writers to understand deep truths about the world. Each one of them learned lessons that showed them what it is to live, not just survive, in the glare of cancer. We believe deeply that the stories that change us aren't so much about what happened as they are about what came next. And hearing those stories, true stories of transformation, that's what ignites the fire within each of us. A listener note before we dive in, cancer is a salty business and sometimes talking about it and the aftermath requires salty language. Listener discretion is advised. Today's storyteller is Megan Kalkari Campbell. Megan is an ocean conservation practitioner living in California. She was diagnosed at age 32 with breast cancer that was stage 2B, triple positive. Here is Megan reading her essay titled Dear One. Dear One, I didn't think about you, not once, not ever. Well, Maybe that's only partly true. I thought about you in such a way as to not think about you. I didn't want you, you see. It's not exactly the warm welcome you anticipated, and I'm not sure how this is going to work out. We never are. The baby dolls I had when I was little were either hand-me-downs or statues. The secondhand toys were missing an eye, sometimes even a head, laying bare without clothes or their hair a matted nest. The others were white porcelain, faces painted ever so delicately with a steady hand, thin lips and blue eyes, layers of petticoats upright on their doll stands and collecting dust. I don't ever recall opening a huggable baby doll that I nurtured, held, pretended to be its mother. I remember in eighth grade, walking home from the neighborhood ballpark one steamy summer evening and telling my friend Tara that I know I'll die young Clearly, motherhood is not for me. I turn 40 next month and have never changed a diaper. Sometimes I pause and interrogate why I have been so certain. I have the most caring, compassionate mom, grandmothers and maternal figures in my life. The archetypes abound. Mothers coming in all forms. The people who have been there to care for my wounds, rub my back, listen to my wails and my worries about what is and what might be. Mothers give life. A mother birthed the stars, planets, suns, and moons, and earth. I glory in these gifts every day. Birdsong, spring blooms, the exhale of autumn leaves drifting to the ground. A capacity for unconditional love 
with multitudes and deeper than the ocean's trenches. This is a lot to live up to. And then there's the social chatter of the white Western world of what makes a good mother that is losing oneself to further one's children. My career, travels, passion pursuits, and dreams are all supposed to go in the back seat, dedicating every waking hour to a child, concerning myself with all matters of this person's diet, sleep patterns, screen time, air quality, school system and homeroom teacher, friend groups, sports or extracurriculars. Hopefully one day, if all goes according to some assumed plan, the child flies the nest to be an economically independent adult who makes good choices, assembles Ikea furniture, and votes at the ballot box, and always comes home for the holidays. When did mother become a verb? Maybe at the root of my resolve is the other part of the world, the scorched earth tipping to a point of no return. How could I reasonably think it a sound plan or be responsible for bringing a new person into this doomed place? White supremacy and racism undergirding every system that we walk in, wondering if no amount of work, power sharing, and reconciliation can dissolve the privilege of being white and heal the shortened lives and heartbreaks that it sows for so many, too many others. And the changing climate, its severity and destruction, exacerbating broken systems, the bees and the biodiversity, lights blinking out before they are even seen, heard, touched. And any new life, part of Generation C for COVID, navigating the chaos yet to come. The tally marks seem clear and bright until until the choice of being a parent was nearly taken away from me. The breast cancer diagnosis coming in like a wrecking ball to our newlywed life, telling us that if I were to live, cancer would impact my chance of becoming a biological parent, of carrying a baby, and make adoption agencies pause. The hustle and decision of whether I had enough time and we had enough finances to harvest my eggs put them on ice as embryos for a future that was even less than certain. The answer was yes, if we hurry, we must hurry. The ravages of 18 months of chemotherapy, the fast growing cells, even the good ones, disintegrating as the chemicals wash them away. The six years of shots and ongoing daily pills to keep me in chemically induced menopause through my entire thirties to dampen the risk of estrogen circulating in my body and feeding whatever cancer cells yet lurk in the shadows, camping out for a time and place when they could bloom again. Moments turned to years, stretches of time stolen. Until life, it crept back in, sunrise by sunrise. And the quiet question, a mostly concealed curiosity, I asked in a clinical setting about a baby and the answer, the risk was too high, the heart too weak, the body too tired. Yet I realized that with cancer, when I crossed the threshold of a before and an after, a light flickered on low and deep in my body. Maybe it was primal or cultural, or perhaps it was maternal. This curiosity of what it would feel like to become an ancestor. I'll save you exactly how we got to today Maybe until you get to know me and your father better, each of us a chapter book to go deeper into with time, just like you. You can ride the roller coaster with us, the murkiness of healthcare, 
the fear of exacerbating my body's newfound fragility, the pros and cons lists, the joy at having a full adult life of brunches and sleeping in, the research, the hand wringing, the passage of time, the guilt, the worry, the recognition of a heart's capacity to love, the dreaminess of a transformative experience that makes people so exhausted and still they would not trade for anything. Why am I telling you this on the day that the paperwork is signed, the surrogate is matched, the womb is chosen. Today, it feels like something distinctive, a leapfrog towards another providence, a dosy do away from a young death and a world dictated by cancer. From who I thought I was to who I will become through and with you. You are still a stranger to me and I can't wait to meet you. Love, mom. I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to Igniting the Fire Within, a limited series podcast by Wildfire Magazine and The Burn. Check us out at wildfirecommunity.org to order your copy of the book so you can read along each week. You'll also find our magazine and storytelling workshops there. Big thanks to our producer, Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant, Monica Haro. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast. If you like what you hear, tell your best friend, tell your mom, tell your oncologist. I mean, really, tell everyone you know. Or head into your podcast app and leave us a starred review to help others find their way to igniting their own fire within. Ooh.